Parrish. Gary Parrish. It's Friday, April 5th, 2019. Welcome back to the Ion College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me. And when I say Matt Norlander is here with me, I mean Matt Norlander is here with me. We are both at the IDS Center, downtown Minneapolis. Norlander, refresh my memory. Is this the first ever in-person Ion College Basketball Podcast? I feel like we've done one of these before in a hotel room. You were extremely uncomfortable. You look more comfortable right now than normal. I feel but, comfortable. But we're finally getting to do this live and in person. I am very happy to uh, to be with you face-to-face here. But, yes, downtown Minneapolis. You're done with CBS Sports Network duty. I'm done with CBS Sports HQ duty. Continue to watch us all weekend, but we want to get a podcast to the people here so you can prep for the national title game, or the national semifinals, I should say, on Saturday. How you feeling, GP? I felt better. You felt better. <laughs> I felt you better. were feeling good last night. It's a long night. It was a long night, but that was a good time. How late, if you were trying to estimate, would you say we stayed out last night? Well, I left before you. How, so. What time did you leave then? So I can try to figure out my life i i left probably about 1:15. i had to tap out of there and you didn't look close to leaving uh should we mention the establishment we were at or is it do you remember what it was I, called i do do you <laughs> no. it was the rojo mexican bar and grill of course N- it was nice little scene downtown minneapolis actually i like the way that the, the whole city's uh, laid out and so yes that's where we were with many uh Many a person. Do you want to get to uh, you know the the podcast encounter that we had there? We had a, a nice podcast encounter. We ran into Mark Titus and Tate Frazier, who of course uh, host and um, and put on the One Shining podcast, which sure. is uh, tremendous. If you're looking for a second favorite college basketball <laughs> that, podcast, that is probably where you need to turn. That, the, I I don't disagree. By the way, if you're looking for a second podcast in your rotation for college basketball, those guys are your guys. So no, that was a. Uh, that was a fun little meetup. Got a got a photo out there. I'm I'm aware of the fact now that there is a lot of uh, clamoring for some sort of massive crossover event. We might have to actually talk to our bosses and get things in order if we ever get that done. But I we I, did. I think I played into that on Instagram because I put like a collaborating podcast. People were like, "Oh, this is going to be great," <laughs> and I was like, "No, we really didn't even talk about doing that at all. That uh, that's not in the plans." I'd be happy to do it. Maybe I'm sure we'd have a good I, time. I think it would be well. I think it would be an incredible podcast. I. I want to know how you would respond to being on a four-person podcast because a two-person podcast <laughs> is barely enough. Tate Frazier might become the new Sam Vecini if we did that. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm actually a little worried about yeah, no, Tate. We struggled um, with the th- three-person podcast uh, when that was the format once upon a time because you're not going to believe this. Sometimes I've been accused of, of liking to talk too much. And for too long of periods of time. So it was a fun night. There were a lot of coaches there, a lot of media there, a lot of college basketball players who were competing in this three-on-three thing or the Reese's game here. So, like, Mike Dom was there and uh, Ethan Happ was there. So it was a, a fun night. Fletcher and- McGee in the house, too. Don't shortchange <laughs> my Wofford guy on me right I didn't now. see Fletcher McGee. Oh, gosh. Now, Fletcher McGee was there amongst other uh, luminaries. And, you know, that was, uh, that was a really good time. Before we get to the next – talking to Mike Dom, I was like, <laughs> TJ Osselberger had to beg you not to leave South Dakota State year after year after year. And as soon as you go, he's out. <laughs> and he was laughing. He was like, I texted him that. He's like, no, he's happy for him. That's so, really funny. Yeah. Uh, very true. Before we get to uh, semifinal preview stuff, uh, let's touch on Minneapolis as a Final Four city real quick since we've been in here a couple days. Uh, now, it's it's gray skies. It's been chilly, chillier than expected, whatever. 
But I actually think that this is a pretty solid Final Four city. To me, this is, if you want to remove the weather, which I will, and I understand for many people they, they refuse to do that, but layout-wise, it's better than Phoenix. It's better than Dallas. It's better than Houston. Arguably better than Atlanta, which is going to have the Final Four next year. Um, good vibe. Really, we got a lot of fans, a lot more foot traffic, and frankly, traffic, period, here on Friday. But your impressions in Minneapolis, I believe this is our first time both here to the city. I, I've been here before. Okay. I've never, I haven't spent much time here, but I have been here before. Um, obviously, this is the first time I've ever been to a Final Four here. I've got no issues. I know everybody likes to freak out about the weather. How often are you actually outside? And honestly, you can be outside. Like today, I walked from the stadium to here at the IDS Center because we had the four-hour practice show on CBS Sports Network. And for two of those hours, I was on set at the IDS Center here in Minneapolis. And then I spent about an hour off air getting ready to be the sideline reporter for the Michigan State practice. And I walked it, and it was fine. Like, not, uh, not, never a point where you're like, ah, this is miserable. It's been completely fine from a weather perspective. And honestly, if I am going to be walking around, especially during the day, I'd rather be a little cold than, than hot. Yes. I'd rather be a little cold than sweat. Especially with what we're wearing. Yeah, you can be walking around in a suit. Is there anything more miserable? I mean, there are, but uh, uh, relatively speaking, when you're sweating through a dress shirt, you just you can't escape it. What's funny, when I'm in New York, um, I stay 0.7 miles from the CBS Broadcast Center. It's a 12-minute walk. I've got it timed down perfectly. I can, I, I, if I need to be somewhere at a certain time, I know exactly when I need to walk out the door, and I know exactly what time I'll walk in the door at the Broadcast Center. And people will sometimes ask, oh, well, why do you walk it? Why don't you just take a car? And I could take a car, but I just enjoy the walk. But I never don't walk when it's cold. Because you can deal with that. You know when I stopped walking? Like last week. Because it's hot. Yeah. And you're sweat. You don't want to walk in for a nine-hour work night, and you're already sweating through the back of totally. your shirt. So I will walk in New York when it's cold. The only time I stop walking is when it gets warmer. My point being that I don't mind being slightly cold here in Minneapolis walking around in a suit. It is preferable to the alternative. I agree. And there's also the good Skyway stuff. Now, have, you haven't scoped out the Skyway life yet. I, I've... I've I was well, in a skyway to you get did into today. the stadium. Okay. Oh, so that that was it, though. So you were outside the rest of the walk yeah, there? Yeah, I, okay. I, walked, I walked outside the whole you can time. walk from where we're recording this podcast to the stadium the entire way. It's absurd. I did not. I walked outside. Okay. I, but um, it's it, to your point about the setup, it's not as compact as Indianapolis right. or even St. Louis or probably San Antonio. Yeah. But if you're not afraid of walking, you can walk everywhere you need to go um, from – my hotel to the IDS Center is about 0.7. From the stadium to here was 1.1. From the stadium to my hotel, I walked that yesterday, it was like 0 0.8, 0 0.9. So everything, totally everything's walkable. And I've always said uh, this is what makes a perfect Final Four city. We had it in Detroit once upon a time. And I wrote about it because I used to write. <laughs> I, I used to be a writer yeah <laughs> it's crazy to think about now so i used to write and i remember writing about like detroit was just not not good and people in detroit were like offended by that because i guess you would be right you take great pride in your city and i said it's got nothing to do with the city of detroit i didn't say detroit's not a great city i said detroit's not uh, a great final four city because literally half the coaches were in canada right like another country and everybody was just all spread out at all times. And whereas in, in New Orleans, like I made this point. I said, Dallas is a great city. I hate the Final Four there. L.A. is a great city. I don't know if it'd be great for the Final Four. 
Um, but in, in Atlanta and St. Louis and Indy, San Antonio, and then I think here as well, if you give me the stadium, the hotel, and nice restaurants and bars, all within walking distance, that's all I need. I don't need anything else. Nice hotel, nice restaurants, nice bars, and the stadium all within walking distance, that's good enough for me. And I think New Orleans is probably the best for that. I, I agree. New Orleans is the best combination of all of that. San Antonio was great last year. Riverwalk can get a little out of hand, a little messy, a little sloppy, which is it's a great thing. But I'm like, always, I've never witnessed it. I always think somebody's about to fall in. Yes. It's, With, it's like crowded it's a crowded walkway of drunk people. Yes. It, I, I, there's never a moment where I'm like, somebody's about to fall in. It, 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 San Antonio is awesome, and I'm, I'm hoping and excited that it'll get more Final Fours. But it, there was a little bit of like a – at certain points last year, it was a little bit of a spring break feel like this is getting a little bit too out of hand. I, I like it here a lot. The Skyway stuff, it's, it's almost like a second city. So you walk from building to building to building, and you've got it's – like, it's like a mini – mall and every like the spot where you're on cbs sports network we're on the second level on cbs sports hq if you are in minneapolis by the way listening to this podcast uh do try and swing by the ids center it's where like a nordstrom rack is all sorts of other stuff i don't even know how to explain it because all these buildings are connected by these skyways but uh, a nice gentleman when i was walking to the stadium on thursday he basically guided me half the way if he was not i would have been toast yeah, by I the way no if chance. he didn't guide me yeah, I it, it, you will feel like you're um you're in some sort of like James Bond video game like you don't know where the hell you're going but it was really cool where he was taking me through it and he said during the winter it's great but there is also this weird like it's almost like you're just you're the indoor people like you don't go outside so you're just like constantly walking you know from place to place to place indoors people live in apartment buildings right. they've got their own shopping carts and they'll like go to the Trader Joe's right. with their own cart and go back it's kind of wild but it is a bottom line it is a cool Final Four city liking uh, first impressions of Minneapolis now, um, my colleague and uh, 1999 national champion Khalid El Amin um, he's from here and so he was telling us in advance to come in here, like, you realize you don't ever have to go outside if you don't want to go outside. Like, if you never want to be outside, you can actually accomplish that. And so it's interesting, funny story. So tonight, we were doing our last show of the day, Brent Stover's hosting. And Khaled and I got in, we had a free throw contest because I, I shot 100% from the free throw line earlier You today were two for two. On national, 100%. Okay. I mean, both are factually true. You were, t- you were two for two. I was a 100% free throw shooter. So I was challenged by Khaled to a free throw contest. This is a dude who shot 89% from oh the boy. free throw line his last year of college. Going. And, uh, and I, I had options. I could either accept the challenge. And, and, and go into a free throw competition with an 89% free throw shooter, or I could decline the cha- challenge and go to bed tonight 100% free throw shooter. And I explained to Brent Stover, you cannot survive as a kid in the mean streets of Mississippi by being a coward, by backing down from challenges. And so I, I accepted the challenge, and then I lost. I lost to Colin Elliman in a free throw <laughs> okay. shooting contest. All right? But it, <laughs> okay. it, it, as, so as Stover's like signing off, He's like in, in our free throw champion of the day, Khaled Elamine, the 1999 most outstanding player at the Final Four. And Stover has been – we've had Khaled in studio with us all year. And Stover's been saying that all year, every show. Mm-hmm. This is our college basketball insider, Gary Parrish, John Rothstein, former Virginia coach Pete Gillen, and the most outstanding <laughs> player of the 1999 uh, the Final Four, Khaled Elamine. And Khaled do a little fist bump. It's been going on all year. Tonight somebody says – you realize he wasn't the most outstanding player of the I'm night. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> yeah, because Ricky Moore? I think it was Rip Hamilton. No, Ricky Moore. Let's look it up. Look it up right now. Off the top of my head. Ricky Moore. It was, it was hold on. He's been saying that on the All air. All year, every show. <laughs> and, Col- and Colin didn't say anything. Colin said, He's riding with so it. So Stover goes over to uh, Colin after the show, and he's like, 
were you not the most outstanding player of the 1999 Final Four? And he's like, no. Nah. <laughs> he's like, dude, you could have, like, at any point corrected me. Kyle was like, I, I kind of like the way it sounds. <laughs> he said, and plus, I should have been. I thought that's what you meant. Like, I should have been. He's like, no, who was? Ricky. And I, I think Kyle had said it was Rip he Hamilton. Was, I think it's Ricky Moore. Let's see. We can he's looking it up right now. We're getting a live podcast info fact check here. Hmm. Tell me. It, I, it's it's difficult to figure out no, while I'm just, holding this stupid microphone. You, all right, you put the microphone down while he does this. I will uh, I will say that the venues here, by the way, uh, Target Field, the Target, which is where the Twins play, the Target Center, uh, which is where the T Wolves and the Wild play, and then obviously U.S. Bank Stadium, where the Final Four National Title Game is going to be, where the Vikings play. New venues, great venues, well positioned within the city. The city layout is uh, terrific. Why don't you go ahead and inform the listeners, GP? The 1999 most outstanding player at the Final Four was Rip Hamilton. Okay. Trivia time. Okay. <laughs> yes. Who was it in 1998, just one year prior? 98 would have been Kentucky. That would have been over uh, Utah. And that, hold on. So, oh, Paget, Incorrect. Um, I know it. So, hold on. 96 is Delk. Correct. 97 is. Okay, starting Hold on. 97 is Bibby, not Simon, isn't it? No, it's Miles Simon. It's Simon. And then 98 is Kentucky. And it is. Oh, is it? Uh, give me a hint. His first name's Jeff. Jeff. Oh my gosh. Oh, Parrish. His last name is Shepherd. Shepherd. Thank you, God. <laughs> Jeff Shepherd. And so then in 1999, it was Rip Hamilton, and then in 2000, let me get it, Cleves. Of course. So 2000. So I've spent probably the past four months thinking that I have at different times worked with the most outstanding player of the 1999 <laughs> Final Four and the 2000 Final Four. It's just not true. That's Because I've never worked, except I have worked with Rip <laughs> Hamilton. <laughs> 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 Rip, Rip Hamilton works in Fort Lauderdale with CBS Sports HQ. Boom. I have worked with Rip uh, Hamilton. This is, this is getting taking turns couldn't have possibly <laughs> expected the Khalid stuff. That's good to know, by the way, because Khalid Alamine will be on CBS Sports HQ with us on Saturday in addition to being on CBS Sports Network with Parrish as we uh, as we move toward the, the start of the national semifinals. If you've got any other thoughts on Minneapolis, I'll hear them before we get to the national semifinal games. I will say Bar La Grassa did dinner there Wednesday before GP got in. Fantastic spot. Looking forward to that. By the time people are listening to this, we will be either have eaten or will be eating at Red Cow, which got some good reviews. We're going to do Spoon and Stable, but apparently the, the chef there won a James Beard Award recently, and so like getting the table there is impossible. So I'm looking forward to Red Cow tonight. Any other uh, any other thoughts before we get to these games? Well, I would, you, I would just say, if you are here in Minneapolis and you want to kick it with us, uh, me, Brent Stover, Swin Cash, uh, John Rothstein, Steve Lapis, and a really good player from the 1999 National Championship UConn Husky team, uh, Khaled el We're going to be on tomorrow from 1230 till 2 p.m. That's central time, local time, uh, at the IDS Center. So it's also called Nicolette Mall. Yeah. So any of those things put into Google Maps will lead you right here. Um, we are set up right next to our uh, set is uh, next to a Nordstrom Rack. We're literally uh, – I was going to say inside the mall, but Jamie Erdahl, our colleague – said that you don't say inside the mall in Minneapolis. What do you say? You say you're on the mall. Okay. Yeah, you're like on the mall. Like just like you don't say I live in Long Island. I live on Long Island. She she's she's uh she would she's, know. she's a she's a native. Right. She would know. She would she would be aware of these things. So um, we're going to be we're on the mall 
Uh, okay. here, at the, here at the IDS Center, uh, from 12.30 to 2, we'll be live. So you can watch it on CBS Sports Network, or you can just, if you're here in Minneapolis, uh, come say hello. You want to get into the game? Let's do it. We'll do that momentarily, but first, check this out. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. Hey, Ion College Basketball Podcast listeners. One of our favorite times of the year is upon us, the Masters, a tradition unlike any other. And CBS Sports is where you can get direct streaming access on your phone or computer to live coverage all day for each round of the tournament. The coolest part is you can choose between four different streams, whether you want to watch the featured groups of the day, follow the field as they come through on Amen Corner or holes 15 and 16, or see top golfers getting ready for their round on the practice range. We've been looking forward to this week since the last green jacket was awarded, so you really don't want to miss a second of the action. The best part is that it's entirely free. No need to pay a subscription or have an expensive cable package to watch. So download the CBS Sports app on your phone or visit cbssports.com backslash Masters First Cut today. And while you're there, be sure to tune in all week to watch our friend Kyle Porter on CBS Sports HQ, our free 24-hour sports news network, where he'll be reporting live from Augusta National all week long. So on Saturday at 6.09 p.m. Eastern inside U.S. Bank Stadium here in Minneapolis, Auburn will play Virginia in the first national semifinal. Virginia is a six-point favorite. The total is 131. Norlander, what interests you most about this game? All right, so we're up to six now because it was 5.5, but did it jump today? That's what we got. I looked four minutes before we started recording this podcast, and it was Virginia minus six. I trust your work entirely here. Okay, so. I mean, I was right about the Rip Hamilton thing. Were you? I guess you were. Yeah. I was right when you and I started. I I got right before we started talking about it. Uh, okay. I've been wrong for like four months, but I got right. I'm gonna try Today and dro- I got right. I'm gonna try and drop an impromptu t- trivia time on you before this is out, but we'll see if we can make that happen. Okay. So, Auburn, Virginia. Thoughts on this game or this? I uh, in talking with some coaches here this week. Obviously, this is just uh, this place is overrun with coaches. Um, they said that Bruce and Tony are two coaches who are exceptions to the rule in this regard. They are 
as invested in video scouting and getting to into like real nitty gritty stuff that mostly assistants do before they get their job the, the jobs as head coaches they get involved in that so actually from a preparation standpoint it's it's hard to outwork these guys because they do the stuff frankly that 95 percent of head coaches just the job requires so much other stuff you entrust your assistants with it you entrust your video coordinators your dobos and all that i'll be interested to see how well prepared Auburn comes out in this game. I like Virginia to win. I mean, I'm not going to I'm not going to delay this because obviously I picked them win the tournament before it started. I'm not going to shift off of that. Um, I want to see how Auburn's size can go up against Virginia's size on the defensive end. I want to see if Auburn can possibly continue to shoot well. Opponents in the tournament GP are shooting nearly 40% against Virginia, right. but on the year, it's not good at all. Well, on the on the right, so they were first, and then the Purdue game dropped them to third. Right, they went from wherever they were, which ranked first nationally, to third, which is twenty eight point seven percent, and that's the result of that's what Carson Edwards did to them. That Purdue made fourteen three pointers, Carson made ten. Okay, so I I don't expect Auburn to have success from the three point line against Virginia. Virginia's not played a complete game yet. I think they will. I think this will be their best game yet of the tournament. I expect them to win with some level of comfort there. I think Kyle Guy is going to have another really good, really strong game. I think if he shows up the way he did in the second half versus Purdue, it's going to be hard for any team to beat Virginia because they're going to be so reliable defensively. If you're telling me Kyle Guy is going to be good for 17, 19, 24 points, makes him all the more difficult. And then... Uh, Mamadi Diakite, who has become a starter in, in the tournament. It was Jack Salt most of the year. Uh, Bennett put him in because he was a good matchup for other athletic teams with good shooters. Well, guess what? That, I mean, that's that's Auburn to a T. I think Diakite, I think Diakite, and then I'll get to Tillman of Michigan State when we get to that game. I think those two players have the best chance of being like the – like the the names that even you know avid college basketball fans aren't that familiar with. I'm aware Diakite just hit the shot to put him into overtime to get him even to this point. I think he could wind up being a a pretty big factor overall. Parish, the fact that Bruce Pearl's coaching in the Final Four is it, just that the fact that they're here is kind of crazy. We're gonna see like that we have opposites. So Pearl it, it sweats through his blazer. He is a, a sideline maniac, and then Tony Bennett is as composed as you could possibly ever be. Like I watched him shove you into the that, second row of an arena just that's less, after the game. less than a week ago. That's after the game. I'm talking I'm talking once that ball gets tipped and before the final horn, we'll see what happens. By the way, we'll see where I'm seated for this game. If I'm directly behind the Virginia bench, I'm going to be a little scared stay, for my safety. Stay away from I'm Dick gonna Bennett. I'm going to be a little concerned. Stay away from Dick Bennett. <laughs> I'm going to be a little concerned about all that, but we'll wait and see. The coaching You get away from my daddy. <laughs> I know, the coaching, get away from my the daddy. Co the coaching uh, dichotomy very 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 different uh, people here. So that, that part is fascinating to me. But for you, what stands out with this game? Well, um, first, just from a storyline perspective, Tony, the, the idea that either one of these guys are here right now and then coaching against each other is pretty pretty remarkable for obviously different reasons. Last year, Tony Bennett becomes the first ever, and I'm not saying anything anybody listening doesn't know, but I do that all the time. <laughs> of course. <laughs> he becomes the first coach as coach of a one seed to lose to a 16. And then here he is a year later uh, in the Final Four, finally breaks through and is technically at this moment the favorite to win the national championship. Meantime, last year, and Bruce pointed this out, it was Bruce and Tony to sitting down with Seth Davis. We aired it tonight on CBS Sports Network. And, um, you know, Bruce said everybody remembers what happened to Virginia because it was historic. He said, we lost by 30 in a round of 32 to a Clemson team after winning an SEC championship. So he wasn't trying to compare pain 
or disappointment, but like we were humiliated too. You know, everybody, Virginia acknowledges it was embarrassing to become that, and they'll forever be that. But we got embarrassed too. And I know that Tony's team came back and and wanted to write that. But so did we. Right. Just in a less uh, – it, it wasn't as high profile. But but we were motivated by the same stuff. We got embarrassed too. We didn't become the first ever this to lose to a that. Mm-hmm. But we, we thought we could go to a Final Four, and we lost by 30. Like, we had stuff to, 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 to make right too. So there's that part of it. And then there's the fact that last year – I don't want to say around this time because last year around this time, I think people knew Bruce was going to survive. Yeah. But certainly in November, December, early January, you know as well as I do. If you talk to people around that, that program in college basketball, they'd have told you he ain't going to make it. No shot. Fate accompli, he was done. He was done. That's yeah. what people thought. Correct. I had somebody from Auburn tell me he's done. Like they'll just get through the season, but then mm-hmm. he's done. And then – you know, I, I think nothing ever came out about him. That helps. But also he was like winning at a high level. That helps. And now it not only kept his job, but he's got Auburn in the final four for the for the first time ever. So from a storyline perspective, just terrific. Um, from the game's perspective, uh, Bruce also said in the same interview, we can't just beat him from the three-point line. And I think that's true. But they've, they've got to be good from the three-point line. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, they got no chance. No shot. No shot. You, you know, and as you point out, Virginia is one of the very best in the country at guarding the three-point line, but they haven't been good lately. And as I pointed out a million times at this point, Auburn is going to take 50% of its field goal attempts from beyond the arc. In fact, um, that number is now actually at, if you round up, 50%. It's 49.5. Okay. It was lower than that enter in this tournament, but they really shooting them. So if they take – and it's going to be a low-possession game because of Virginia. And I thought this was also smart of Bruce. He's acknowledged already. We're not going to speed them up. Can't win it. Yeah. yeah impossible. Like, like he just – most. I don't know about what most coaches say, but I've heard coaches say, well, we've got to make them a little uncomfortable. We've got to mm-hmm. speed them up. And it never works. You cannot get them to play any way other than the way they play. Yes. And so for Bruce to just concede the point, we're not going to speed them up. We're not even going to try. It doesn't work. And, you know, if we st- extend ourselves too much, we're going to get burned. So we, we know that. We're going to have to win playing their pace. And I just – I like the fact that he acknowledged that. It's not even something that when it doesn't go his way, they'll have to figure out. We know it's not going to go our way, so we're not even trying it. But – so let's say, th- let's say they take 50 shots, 55 shots. Well, you know, 25, 27 of those are going to be threes. And just like I said going into the North Carolina game, um, what happens when you shoot 45% on that many attempts? Like I don't care how good the other team is. That other team's in trouble, especially in a low-possession game. So Auburn's going to take the threes no matter what. It's just going to come down to how well can Virginia guard them, how difficult can Virginia make it. And if if Auburn is good from the three-point line, and by good I'd say 38% and up, they've got a chance. Anything below that, I think it's going to be tough. Very tough. I'll remind listeners, I don't have the data in front of me, but trust me, it's out there. You can Google it. Um, you every year you hear about the fact that you've got to and it gets asked at press conferences how are you going to adjust to playing in a stadium the data suggests that playing in a stadium versus playing in an arena does not have a significant effect in fact it almost goes year by year in terms of how teams perform from the three-point line 
in uh, in this small one or two game sample size from three versus what they've done for the rest of the season. So if we do see Auburn not shoot well from the three, it doesn't mean that it was because of the environment around him. It's really it's more Virginia than anything there. So just keep that in mind. Um, and then aside from the gameplay, um, I think Virginia will win. I think Virginia will win comfortably. I have Virginia winning by double digits. Uh, I'm curious to see how many Auburn fans show up for this. How many Virginia fans? Because I think it's going to go Michigan State, Texas Tech, Virginia, Auburn in terms of fan uh, presence in that order. And I almost think that Auburn might not be able to fill more than 10% of the building. And don't you think the locals will also be rooting for Michigan State? Yes. Even though that's not as big of a thing in college basketball as in college football, I do think uh, Minnesota, Big Ten Connection Conference hasn't won a championship uh, in men's basketball since 2000. MSU did it there. I think that could have an impact. And Tom yeah. was playing to that today. I don't know if you saw it in the in the open practice. He was like, and I, I want you know, all our Michigan State fans, I, we appreciate you being here. All you Gopher fans, we appreciate yeah. you being here. We know you're going to be recruiting, uh, um, rooting for uh, your fellow Big Ten school, and they responded in a positive way. So, um, so we'll see. You make a good point about the dome stuff. Like, just stop it. Um, this is what people do all the time about um, mid-major or, or great teams for mid-major conferences. They go and they just get upset in the round of 32 or Sweet 16 or wherever it is. And people immediately point to, well, that's because they didn't play anybody in January mm-hmm. and February and they weren't prepared for it. But like just as often as those good teams get bounced early, they go further than they were supposed to go. And so, same thing with this shooting. If, if somebody doesn't shoot well tomorrow, it's not going to be because it was in a stadium. It's going to be because sometimes college basketball teams don't shoot well, particularly against defenses like we're going to see in, in this Final Four because at, at least three of the four teams are super-duper on the defensive end of the court. That's the other thing about this. Mm-hmm. We could have some really ugly basketball games on Saturday. <laughs> we could. It could be ugly, but it still could be close. Um, I think the second game's got a lot better chance of being close and riveting, uh, even if it's a little a little physical there. So your pick is Virginia minus six. What are you doing? Are you uh, laying those points? Yeah, oh, yeah, no. I'm give me Virginia for the record here. I'm I'll say Virginia seventy three, Auburn sixty two. So. I'll go with that. Yeah, I've got I've got Virginia winning the game, but I've got Auburn covering the number. I'll take the points, but yes, I think Virginia advances, and Virginia uh, will play for the national championship on Monday. So the second game on Saturday, it's scheduled to tip at eight forty nine p.m. Eastern, but obviously it'll be dependent on how long the first game uh, lasts. But it's eight forty nine p.m. Eastern scheduled start inside U.S. Bank Stadium, Minneapolis. Texas Tech's going to play Michigan State in the second national semifinal on cbs it's the network of stars it's, it's america's a, most watched network it's america's most awarded network there we go and so this is the one that to me is is super interesting because well they're both super interesting but when you sit down and and sort of look at the coaching matchup tom Izzo had gone to seven final fours before chris beard ever was a division one head coach <laughs> like it's crazy you know, it, it, because Chris isn't like 33, you know, he does his his right. lack of experience doesn't um, really get highlighted that much. But this is only his fourth year as a Division One head coach, and he's had a, I I really do think one of the more remarkable starts to a Division One head coaching career. The stuff he did at Little Rock we've talked about enough. First year at Texas Tech, respectable, not great, but respectable. Last year did things that had never been done. First Elite Eight in school history. This year, second elite eight in school history, first final four in school history. And when you've got 
that guy doing this at a school where you're just not supposed to be able to do that. I mean, Bob Knight never got to an Elite Eight at Texas Tech, much less a Final Four, and he's widely considered to be one of the greatest that's ever done it, like on the Mount Rushmore of college basketball coaches. Um, when you've got that guy doing that, and then, you know, a real legend, icon of the sport on the other side, and not to keep circling back to these interviews, but Dana Jacobson sat down with Chris and, and Tom, and you could tell they had a lot of respect for each other. Um, you know, Chris has identified Tom as somebody he looked up to in the coaching profession, and, you know, Tom acknowledged, like, this guy's done an amazing job with, with this team. Because even though Michigan State lost two lottery picks, then lost a starter and still got here, still Michigan State, still Tom Izzo. That ain't, that's not that surprising. Texas Tech being here is super surprising um, based on big picture historical stuff. Uh, unquestionably. Now, I wanted to follow up with what we talked about on the previous podcast because I did, I did hear from listeners. So Michigan State was never favored – to win the national championship. I'm glad somebody looked that up. Yeah, never favored. Um, and and the team and the team that uh, that it lost to in those years was was the better team. So there's no shame in that. You hope that you have a, a better hit rate. Maybe it happens this year for number two. We'll see. Um, I I got asked on HQ today. It, does it make a difference the fact that you know Izzo has been? Uh, this is now his eighth one. These other coaches haven't ever been. I said yes and no. Yes, because it's not just that Izzo has been here, but his staff is one of the longest tenured coaching staffs uh, in major college basketball. Usually, you know, if you're a head coach at a power program, you're expecting to lose one of your three assistants uh, to another job for one reason or another every two or three years. The turnover is just part of the job. It hasn't been that way with Michigan State for a long time now. So might that have a little bit of an impact potentially? But none of the players in this Final Four have ever been on the stage before. Right. So once you actually get involved in the game, I actually don't think it matters all that much whatsoever. The coaching matchup is totally fascinating. Um if Beard is able to get Texas Tech a win here, and that's very possible, very capable, elite defense uh, is tracking toward the best. I, I believe, GP, I checked this out real quick earlier today. I think where Texas Tech stands right now in terms of its defensive efficiency at Ken Palm is the stingiest in the history of Ken Palm. Now, we'll wait and see if it can stick that as you play a, a really good team in Michigan State. And if you were able to win that, can you continue that even more so in a national title game? But the point is, this is on pace to be a historically great defense. Will that be enough against Cassius Winston? I wrote a column, had a, a little feature go up on Friday on CBSSports.com. You can read it there. Check out the app if you wanna if you wanna see it. Cassius is totally fascinating because he he basically he's taller than you, but he's like kind of built like you, right? <laughs> this dude is able to. He shoots well from three, can get to the hoop, isn't super fast, isn't super strong, isn't in this tremendous amount of shape, and yet he has grown into a player that is knocking on the door of really being like one of the all-time greats in program history, and that's not an easy plateau to reach. He's not up there yet. He's not. Uh, He's not Magic Johnson. He's not, uh, you know, what the guys did on the 2000 team yet. Um, but a win here, get him to a title game with what he's did, Big Ten Player of the Year. First, First team, team All-American All with us, by the way. Great podcast. That was unbelievable that was, what we just that did. That was incredible. <laughs> we might as well try and harmonize the next time. Um, we put out our, our All-American teams earlier this week. Cashless was on it along with John Morant, R.J. Barrett, Zion Williamson, and help me, who was the fifth one? First team. It was Cassius Winston, John Morant, Zion Williamson, Grant Williams. There we go. And R.J. Barrett. Those were our five first. And by the way, I had some Texas Tech fans say, "What about Jared Culver?" I voted Jared Culver. I did not. I had Culver too. Well, I had Culver second team. I had Brandon Clark first team. He wound up second team. So true democracy there. So so be it. But anyway, point is, 
Cassius Winston's had a really good year. I think he will wind up being the difference along with Xavier Tillman, who I I think that he has gotten so much better. When we do our top 101 next year, I think he should be a top 50 player. Uh, keep an eye on him. He's, just the, he's the name that a lot of people might not be familiar with. It wouldn't shock me, GP, if we got to Sunday, saw Michigan State in the title game, and we say, you know what, Winston was awesome, but like Tillman, the game he had last night against that front court Texas Tech, I'm kind of thinking that he's going to step up in a big moment. Um, on Texas Tech's defense, you look at what they did. You know, so Michigan State's a pretty good three-point shooting team. Mm-hmm. And so you – Michigan State can beat you a million different ways. They can beat you on the defensive end. They can beat you on the offensive end. They can beat you inside the arc. They can beat you outside the arc. It's a pretty good three-point shooting team. And you look at what they've done the past two games from beyond the arc, and it's crazy. In the Sweet 16 against Michigan – Michigan went one of 19 from three-point range. That's a John Beeline coach Crazy. team. One of 19 from three-point range. I mean, that's that's 5.3%. It's ridiculous. Then they come back, play Gonzaga. Great three-point shooting team. Mark Few coach team. Got, I think, six players in the rotation that were shooting above 37, right at 38%. They go 7 of 26. 26.9%. So in the past two games against good offensive teams and great offensive coaches, the, the Texas Tech's opponents are 8 for 45, 18% from three-point range. And I don't think Michigan State's going to be around that number, but... I don't think they'll be above 30%. It like, So, Texas Tech does not fit the description of a typical national champion. Mm-hmm. They're not good enough on the offensive end to check both boxes. Those boxes that we've referenced before... Uh, being top 11 in offensive efficiency and defensive efficiency. Michigan State checks both boxes. Mm-hmm. Virginia checks both boxes. Texas Tech does not. But they are so good on the defensive end of the court, I'm not ruling anything out. The idea that after Texas Tech, of all places, loses five of its top seven scores, that I would be sitting here at the Final Four, first off with Texas Tech, but then also saying, I can absolutely see them winning a national championship, is kind of bananas because um, – and I, I can't remember if I've said this on radio or said it on podcasts. I probably, knowing me, said it on both places. Of course. Television seven yep. times. But it, sometimes we get to the Final Four and there's a team there that's not supposed to be there. Like VCU with Shaka's team, the George Mason team. You can say it, Auburn this year. That's all right. I really don't think Auburn fits that this year. Okay. Auburn was a top 15 team. At, at preseason. Kempom all year. Totally fair. Preseason yeah, top 15 yes, yes, and top and 15 Kempom, Kempom right. all year. Yeah. And I, I've always said. If you're a legit top 25 team, you can reasonably go for, you know, yes. hope to go to a Final Four. Yes. And all, these four teams were all top 13 at Ken Palm before the tournament even started. This is my point. There's nothing fluky about Texas Tech being here. They didn't get lucky to be here. In fact, they're the one team that didn't get lucky at some point in this tournament to be here. They've kicked ass the entire way. Virginia isn't here unless – Mamadi Diakite tips a ball to the other end of the court. I know. Kia Clark chases it down, throws it back to Diakite, he makes a shot, or else they're not here. Right. Michigan State's not here if R.J. Barrett makes a, another free throw and then Zion yep. takes over in overtime. Maybe if Duke gets Zion more touches <laughs> in the final 624. Sure. Like, they got lucky. Yeah. 
Auburn almost lost in the first round early on the was it the first day of the tournament? Well, it was the first day, and it was I'm pretty sure it was the it was it was the first window. They tipped off at like 11:30 local time. My dude had a layup, wide open layup, the buzzer, and threw it to the I saw I line. saw New Mexico State coach Chris Jans on Thursday, and I, I couldn't bear to bring up that game. Right. He was he was here uh, at a little coaching event, but yeah, so, but a point well taken. Like so, that, so, that could have easily gone against them. Three of the four teams: Auburn, Virginia, and and Michigan State. All really are a shot or a stop or a little bit of luck from just not being here right now. Whereas Texas Tech, I know it was a one-possession game with Gonzaga late, but Texas Tech has been in control of every game it's played so far. It, it's, it's pretty incredible. So, okay, I'm going to take Michigan State to win, but I'll take Texas Tech to cover. Do you have the line in front of you on your computer right now? I do. I thought it was three or either two and a half. The last thing I saw was Michigan State two and a half point favorite. Totals 132.5. I'll take Texas Tech to cover because I do think we're setting up for a potentially really, really good game. But I'll I'll take Sparty. It's the better team rated ahead of Texas Tech at Kempom right now. Um, so give me Sparty. So I've got I've got the two higher seeds advancing. On CBS Sports Network earlier tonight, one of the questions we were asked on set was, what coach has the most to gain? from this Final Four? I think it's hard to say. I mean, when you've got an opportunity to either win your first national championship yeah. or become one of only 16 people to win two, you all got a lot to, to yeah. gain. Um, and so I, I think most people said Tony Bennett. I said Tom Izzo. The point I made is that um, a whole bunch of people have one championship. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it changes your life, but a whole bunch of people have it. Uh, you know, only 15 have two. You get on a really short list if you get two, an even shorter list if you get three. So I said Izzo, but whatever. Then I was asked what player has the most to gain. And that's also t- difficult to ask because they're all playing for legendary sure. stuff. But I think Jared Culver has got a chance to maybe cement himself as like a Texas Tech icon because the sub-300 prospect coming out of high school, in-state player, that I think there was a story over the past week that like Texas didn't even really didn't recruit, mm-hmm. didn't even go see, um, enrolls. He's not the star of last season's team. I'm not going to overstate it, but he was a key p- player on last season's team and helps the school get to its first ever Elite Eight. Comes back, then is the star, wins the Big 12 title, snaps Kansas' streak, wins Big 12 Player of the Year, gets Texas Tech to its second Elite Eight. So the only two teams Jared Culver's ever been on are the two Elite Eight teams Texas Tech ever had. Now he's got them in the first Final Four, and if he could win a national championship and then go be a top-five pick, I mean, you are a Texas Tech legend forever. And he's like, it's not unrealistic. And you talk to coaches about him. It, it, it's funny because by the time Zion Williamson gets to college or R.J. Barrett gets to college, we have talked to coaches about them a million times. Uh, we've seen them probably close to a million times. With Jared Culver, if if you saw him, I don't know. I never. If I, how about this? I might have seen him. I have no idea. Same. In, in coming in high, I might have seen him. Have no idea. Right. Just a guy. Um, so, obviously, I'm not walking around going, so what do you think of this Culver kid from Texas? I never heard of him. Um, but now you you do start to talk to coaches, and his reputation is impeccable. Like, studies film nonstop, um, works hard, you know, good family. Like, sometimes with, with NBA prospects, these red flags do come up, mm-hmm. and there are, like, best, best as far as I'm told, no red flags with him. And so it's just a nice story all the way around. It is a uh, it's a terrific story. I'm looking forward to seeing him going up against Michigan State. I really do think we got a great chance at seeing a great game there. And I think that we're going to get rewarded here because it's not the final four everyone was hoping. I get that, but um, sometimes 
sports can be funny that way and uh, and give us a game that could be, you know what, I, nothing. I I'm not gonna say nothing, but it's gonna be really hard to top <laughs> that Virginia that Virginia Purdue game was just absurd. If we can get something that's close to that, more than happy. Be it happened Saturday or Monday. But uh, I gotta be honest, Paris. This has been great, but I'm starting to get really hungry. We gotta go to dinner soon, and we gotta get this podcast out to the people. So you got anything else here? Well, I'll offer my prediction, and then we'll get out of here. Um, I've got Michigan State winning the game. I've got Virginia and Michigan State playing Monday night for the national championship. But I will say a little bit. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm less confident in this one than the mm -hmm. other one, and the point spread difference suggests that I, I should be. Um, I got Michigan State winning. I'll take Michigan State to cover the two and a half. I guess, but again. I think you can reasonably say nobody has been more impressive in this NCAA tournament. Not imp more impressive this entire year, but in this NCAA tournament, in terms of just overwhelming and making opponents uncomfortable, nobody's done that better than Texas Tech. If Chris Beard and Jarrett Culver and uh, that team wins Saturday night and plays for the championship on Monday, it, it, it won't be surprising to me, and it shouldn't be surprising to anybody. All right, my, my wrap here is that I will pick Michigan State 69, Texas Tech 67. <laughs> I think that we're going to get a nice game there. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry M. F. and Teagle. He's the legend. Shouts to Larnell. And thank you guys for hanging out with us. If you haven't subscribed to the Island College Basketball Podcast yet, please go do that via Apple Podcasts. It's the best way to ensure you get the episodes in your phone as quickly as possible. While you're doing that, if you got an extra 45 seconds, you can rate it uh, favorably and leave a nice comment. That means five stars and nice words about me and Norlander. That's right. But mostly about me. Well, no, this podcast, you know, the, the Ion me. College Basketball Podcast, your favorite college basketball podcast. You right. Know and if you um, if you need like, like little words, buzzwords to use, it's be like, GP is so smart, but also hilarious, and I can't get enough of him. I wish he would do a podcast 11 times a week. <laughs> Careful what you wish for there. <laughs> yeah, no, don't think they ain't asked us to. <laughs> no doubt. But, hey, thank you, uh, everyone. We'll wrap up here. Hey, this was We're doing this again. We're doing this Sunday for the preview. This was better than the hotel room. I because uh, you did let you brought the mics this time. That well, I didn't lose them. That's he correct. didn't lose the mics <laughs> in a rental car, so we were already like way uh, ahead of where we were last time. By the time we uh, sat down, so yes, um, we will get through the semifinals on Saturday night, and then I think I've got an early show on Sunday, CBS Sports Network. But I don't really know. But at some point Sunday afternoon, we will get together, record another episode of the Ion College Basketball Podcast. So till then, take care.